Continues. It's in this corner with Brian Campbell. We are back this time with a boxing edition. And let it be known about this podcast to anyone listening. Look, we are coming for you. So hide your kids, hide your free time, hide those podcasts that you used to listen to because we're climbing in your eardrum, snatching up your five senses, ready to inject that performance enhancing audio. And what a time to be a fan of the sweet science. There's a reason for optimism, reason for hope, just days removed from an epic heavyweight championship fight in England and just days ahead from the Canelo Chavez fight week in Vegas. It's all upon us. I'm going to need some heavy tools to sort this out. So let me bring in my bro hammer from the unforgiving streets of Manhattan, New York, a graduate of city <laughs> high. Yes. Six, five with green eyes. Smile like the sunshine. Rafe Bartholomew, my man Boogs. How is it? Brian, you wanted a heavy tool. I am the heaviest tool in the world right now. Um, no, uh, but really, um, you know, like you said, uh, it's a great, you know, we're back. The heavyweight, the division is back. It's BC and his young Padawan learner, whose first name is Raphael. There you go, Raphael. Rafe, before we get into Boxeo, a little social question, a little, little thing that's in a lot of people's minds before we slide into those Joshua Klitschko DMs. Got to ask you a personal question. What, in fact, would you do if your son was at home crying all alone on the bedroom floor because he's hungry and the only way to feed him, sleep with a man for a little bit of money? I mean, this is this is something that had been talked about, tossed around the minds of of political activists, of social connoisseurs for many years. Brian, this is what we call life. We do what we got to do. We got to pod. We pod. Still, I see no changes. Rafe, the main event slide right in. Anthony Joshua, 11th round TKO of Vladimir Klitschko in front of 90,000 people, thousands of people in (laughs) London's Wembley Stadium. I'm kind of buzzed, Rafe, and it's all because, uh, for good reason, you don't want to be the guy on the street corner with the the, uh, poster board that says, hey, over here, boxing is back. But I did kind of write one of those columns this weekend about the heavyweight division because, Rafe, one fight isn't going to bring it back. You need a perfect storm of of sorts. But I think we have that perfect storm. And for that perfect storm to get activated, you need that one right fight. And you need that one right fighter. We may have gotten all of this together. We don't know the future. But if you're looking for a stage to be set, for heavyweight boxing to be back, and because heavyweight boxing could be back, that also might mean boxing could be back on the cross low over casual sports level. This is the fight to do that. Am I crazy? Uh, Brian, you know, yeah, it's great for the sport. Um, It was a huge heavyweight fight. It delivered in terms of momentum swings. Uh, It had a great, you know, a great finish, knockdowns on both sides. and, And all the people who are standing on that corner saying boxing is back, this is about as good a time to do it as any. We may not, they may not get another opportunity this good in the next several years. So I say to them, go ahead and take it. But, but also for me, you know, I'm, I I have a little bit of that glass half empty in me. Like who who cares? Like, I don't, I like, like, I like boxing how it is. I don't, I I'm too young to remember when boxing was filling up Yankee stadium, except for of course that great uh, Miguel Cotto, Yuri Foreman (laughs) fight. Um, But like, you know, I'm too young to remember what, what, what were the real golden ages of boxing as an impact sport? I love boxing how it is. I don't really, I mean, I think it's great if the sport grows. Uh, I, I, but if it doesn't, if it just sort of 
puts along at its weird in its weird dysfunctional way and 2017 is great and 2018 is dog poop um i can survive with that too so this is great let's enjoy this moment hope it means good things for the long run but when it all comes crashing down i'll still be here i'm a boxing head Wow. Hashtag boxing. Hashtag hardcore. You just really put me in my place. I mean, you, here's a guy trying to open a podcast with two straight dated City High references. I'm so excited. And you're like, hey, guy, take a step back, okay? I don't need the sport to be fixed. I just need the sport. I need my fix is essentially what you're saying. Well, Rafe, you got it this week because this fight was above expectations. Like, I didn't think, I really, honestly, I'm so cynical. You get so beaten down as a boxing fan. I'm an optimistic boxing fan. I'm still a cynic at heart because that's what you have to do to survive these storms. I didn't think it could deliver on this level where it would exceed the expectations. Hugely important for the sport, but you needed that right guy, which I teased earlier. And Anthony Joshua might be that guy. I mean, you're seeing social media posts from like Dana White, The Rock, from people that don't normally talk about boxing. This might be the right guy to put people put people's interests back where it needs to be. And I think the way it ended, Rafe, with Joshua getting off the canvas in the sixth round where it looked like he was done, where he looked like he ran out of gas, rallying back in a close fight to get a no-doubt finish was actually better for him and the sport than, say, he had walked in there and in the second round touched Vlad's chin for the first time and put him away. We still would have had the possible Star is Born headlines. We still would have been, wow, this guy, AJ, whoa, whoa, this guy's the next thing. But this humanized him, Rafe. And if you're looking at what boxing didn't have over the last 10 to 15 years, it was the Vladimir Klitschko era on a heavyweight level. It was the Floyd Mayweather era on an everything else level. Not a lot of humanizing moments coming out of their title reigns. They dominated. This was one of those times where you can connect with AJ. He's a working man. He got him off the canvas. He came back. And when you look at the great eras, the 70s, the 90s, they had heavyweights who lost fights but dug in and came back or overcame situations of being tested. Did you catch any of them feels that AJ might be a kind of guy that the, that we could roll with, that we can call up our guy Eddie Hearn, put on a vest, maybe have a few beers with? This is our type of guy, right? Look, I, I mean, I think you're right. I, I, I don't know if it's so much that I felt that Anthony Joshua was humanized by having to come back in a fight, but that answered questions about – his ceiling and what what how good he really can be, uh, how good he already is, obviously, to do that against Vladimir Klitschko, but how good he can be. Because before, before then, we'd barely seen him in trouble. I mean, one left hook from Dylan White that kind of, you know, that slowed him down for a round in, that, in, in, the, in their fight a couple years ago. Um, but this was, you know, a real test, and, and, he was al- and he almost lost that fight. He was almost knocked out. Um, and he came back and and managed to you know collect himself, get a second win, and and eventually you know stop Klitschko uh, in a really really exciting impressive way. That tells us, man, if you can do that to Klitschko, who can even who who else matches up with with Joshua after seeing a fight like that? Uh, but I wanted to ask you, Brian. You know, let's get let's dig into the fight a little bit. Um, do you think that Vlad gave the fight away a little, or or that or not, maybe not gave the fight away, but do you think that Vlad should have pressed the issue a little bit more um, in, you know, after his sort of comeback in the fifth round where it looked like, you know, where it looked like Joshua started to punch himself out. Vlad, you know, countered him with a left hook and slowed him down. And then, of course, the huge, you know, one, two straight right knockdown Klitschko against against Joshua in the sixth round that had, you know, Joshua looking like he might not survive uh, that round. 
And then, you know, a couple rounds of him still sort of getting his legs back. Should Vlad have done more than sort of his his patient act in 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 those rounds? Um, or or was Vlad just being Vlad? Uh, look, I think in hindsight, it's easy to go back and watch that fight over, which, of course, I did. You know, I w- watched the HBO replay right after that night. It's easy to say, wow, Vlad may have had him more hurt than he realized or more gassed out because I think essentially that was the problem. Vlad clearly hit Joshua with a clean overhand right that put him down in the sixth, but I think it was more of a a collection of fatigue where Joshua worked hard to get Vlad out of there in the fifth, realized he couldn't, suddenly had that oh oh crap moment. But I don't think you – in the moment, I didn't feel that though because – Vlad was already so far overachieving my expectations. And I'm a Vlad cynic comparatively, especially on the impact of his overall resume, on the impact of the quality of opponents he had been able to face. He came in there and vastly exceeded that, Rafe. Obviously, from a toughness and chin factor, destroyed that, right? Just removed the ceiling completely, came out and said, no, I am an all-time great. I have a backbone. I'm going to get up and fight. But I, I didn't really look back and say, wow, he should have done more because his goal was to extend that fight. His goal was to take Joshua into deep waters. He came in at the thinnest weight at 240 and a half that we'd seen him since 2009 against the great white Tyson, Ruslan Shigaev in their in their uh, <laughs> unification bout. And his goal was to box for 12 rounds. So I don't, I didn't see Vlad wanting, let's say, to empty the tank in that sixth round. Maybe he should have put his foot on the gas more, but I think he was still thinking, Joshua's still dangerous. Let's stretch this out. Let's see if he continues to stumble to find that second wind. What ended up happening, though, of course, is Joshua did find that second wind. And I think what made this fight kind of cool, Rafe, is you had those dramatic momentum swings. But around that, you had some real technical chess being played. You had everything you would want in one fight. Both guys come out elevated. I'm not going to pick it apart and say, hey, Vlad, you missed an opportunity. Because, look, even in the 11th round, Rafe, when he got up twice, he's still trying to win. Like, that's that's what you need. That's what you need to ask of a champion. Yeah, I mean that's that's all fair. I I I mean I was sitting there and I I mean you can ask uh you can ask Joe Fuentes who you may remember uh, uh, a, a, a former colleague. Uh, we were watching the fight together at his house in L.A. and um, I remember in the in like the the sixth and seventh round being like ah oh, you know I I understand why Vlad is just sticking to his game plan, but man you know maybe he should press this a little bit because if Joshua comes back, he could have a problem on his hands again. And like, that's sort of how it played out. Now it makes, look, Vlad, his entire, you know, the, the dominant run of his career was fought that way, right? He's cautious. He takes an op. He, he, he only, you know, he only goes, if the window is a crack open, he's not going to test it. He's going, he's, he's only going to sort of, you know, shoot that right hand when he knows it's going to land. He's he's not going to go get off balance. He's not going to open up himself for for counter counters or he's not going to put his chin at risk. And obviously he knows that he can get hurt at that point in the fight against Joshua. Um so it it all makes sense, but I I that still seemed like he he had Joshua nearly out and didn't even didn't didn't even give it a few, you know, after the knockdown didn't even really swarm him for 30 seconds just to see what would happen. See if he could, you know, see if you could force a stoppage, you know, the, 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 in a classic sort of, even even if That's he's fair. not hitting him a lot, even if he's not landing, just back him up on the ropes and start wailing, you know, get a little reckless and see if, if uh, see if you can get the ref to jump in. 
Yeah, you know, that's a fair criticism, but I think it goes back to what you said just 10 seconds earlier. It's not him to do that, right? Like, that's why he couldn't press press uh, play against Fury and be someone who he wasn't until there was 30 seconds left in the fight. Obviously, he erased the bad memories of that fight in here, but to to maybe be somebody he wasn't, he couldn't do that in this case. But I want to talk to you specifically about the stoppage, Rafe. Referee David Fields, New Jersey-based guy, a big guy. I found out in the broadcast, former sparring partner of Marvin Hagler had no idea Thought he called this fairly well the whole way. I mean, we didn't have problems with Klitschko's, you know, clinching. In fact, it was Joshua who was doing more clinching than anything. But we brought in Ibrahim Zapruder to break down the uh, the stoppage there when Vlad got up twice in the 11th round. Not a lot of clean shots landed when Fields did jump in. Vlad was somehow collecting himself and still showing strong defense. Did you personally have a problem with that stoppage? Uh, look, I, I mean, I don't think it. I I doubt it affected the outcome of the fight. Although I don't think it was a good stoppage, uh, and I don't, I think that, I think that uh, we haven't played it up enough in the media uh, because, I, partly, I think because we're so excited to have a great fight and to have a great finish and to have the the guy who's you know better for the sport going forward, just mostly because of his age, um, and, and uh, well, no, for a lot of reasons, not just his age. Anthony, is, Anthony, is, you know, Joshua is great for the sport going forward. So I think we're so excited about that side of the story. That you know, I, I feel like there's a there's a there's a tangent there where we could say, look, that wasn't a very good stoppage. He wasn't actually landing in the corner there, um, and it didn't quite make. I mean, if he, like I could have seen him stopping, Klitsch, uh, you know, David Fields deciding to stop the fight after that sort of thunderous second knockdown where where you know where where Klitschko just fell straight back uh, and and after clearly the uppercut was on, from hell, right? After well, yeah. That well, up- first the the uppercut from hell, and then he got you know he got knocked down again along the ropes and went back you know like a like the the ton of bricks, the proverbial ton of bricks. Um, <clears throat> and um, and when he stood up, you could tell his legs were almost gone. Um, but you know, and and so the 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 real uh, I guess the argument uh, against the stoppage, besides you know Joshua not landing a ton in that final flurry on the ropes, is that we just saw earlier in the fight that this is even though this is when uh, Anthony Joshua finishes fights, it's also may might be the best chance for opponents to beat him because it seems like he might punch himself out going for for the finish. Uh, he's a little bit vulnerable to counters um, <clears throat> when when he's doing that. If if Vlad had collected himself and and landed some you know uh, something to sort of change the momentum right there, you know maybe we could have seen a crazy twelfth round as well. Um, and that, that's a fair to say because at the time of the stoppage, Joshua up on two scorecards: 95-93. Vlad up on the third ninety five. 93. Obviously, that doesn't take into account the two knockdowns that did happen around 11. That would have stretched out the score, but it still could have set up some drama on that 12th. There's no question. I want to talk about the, what we learned about Joshua as a fighter here. Look, we learned that he's got heart. We learned that he's got top shelf pro- power. No doubt. We we kind of knew both coming in. We, we saw it you know, on display in this. Warning signs, though. Negative signs. Uh, look, Joshua's open himself. His first quote after the fight was, I'm not perfect, right? Like his record's still perfect, but he knows he's still advancing. This was only his 19th pro fight, people. This is crazy. Definitely some negative signs. He's a bit chinny. He can be prone to getting gassed out. And it was something in the buildup. Vlad had said, look at Joshua's body. Maybe he can win a CrossFit competition. Look at Vlad talking his his, his weird Euro, you know, talk trash there. Maybe Vlad can win. Maybe uh, Joshua can win a CrossFit, but that is not conducive for boxing. I'm not, uh, you know, he might be right. I'm not sure AJ's giant muscular NFL linebacker frame is conducive for, for boxing being slick when he needs to 12 hard rounds. 
What did you see, though, that needs to be addressed right away, whether it was technical or a little bit more of the intangible level? I think for me, <clears throat> and this is a little, I, I, I mean, we would need to talk to a trainer more if this is a technical or, or, a, or sort of a, a more of a mental approach oh, question. Don't do that. Don't do the, if you haven't put on the gloves, you can't talk about it. That, that Don't take that stand with me. Right? <laughs> don't, don't die <laughs> on that I, one, look, on that anyway, island. Right? Look, I'm just saying that I think that I, the, 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 it seems like the, the big part of, of Joshua's approach that 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 needs a little bit of refining is is you know the way he approaches finishing fights you know when he gets a guy hurt he's he, he seemed you know he we've seen him get countered by left hooks both times against dylan white and in the fifth round against uh klitschko um now what whether it was klitschko's hook or just punching himself out that 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 tired joshua out in that round we don't know but he has um you know he, he he's got the times that he's gotten into trouble and in this, and against klitschko it turned into very very deep trouble in fights have been when he over extended himself or left himself open trying to finish fights. So, I mean, while the way that he goes after it is great and, and you don't want to take that all away from him, I get, I would think that they might be looking at ways to, to sort of, you know, refine that approach so he doesn't put himself in quite as much danger because it, yeah, like you said, it seems like he, when he, he, he obviously he survived this fight, but his chin was, was questioned, you know, and, and they're, they're always going to be punchers in the heavyweight division. You know, and I like to see a little bit more of that jab. I thought Vlad was able to shut down that jab when he needed to just by flailing his two arms out there like pool noodles and just blocking it. That's going to come with time. I don't think Joshua's ever going to be the same boxer as Lennox Lewis, right? The same combination of of slickness and punching. But he does have the amateur pedigree. I'm sure he'll put it together a little bit better as he, as he evolves. But I think what that performance said about the division as a whole to me is we're going to have some excitement coming forward because we're going to see Joshua, you know, attempt to conquer America, attempt to become a worldwide star. And if he's going to be this vulnerable against the very elites, and by the way, there are some young elites out there, and all of them can punch, which is good news, you're going to have fun fights. You're going to need him to get off the deck. You're going to need him to, to survive and brawl to get there. That is such great news for the division moving forward. Rafe, what are your thoughts on his potential in terms of stardom? Because in the UK, he's already Elvis, right? Like, he's already there. Will that transition easy? To, to worldwide U.S. mainstream NFL fan knowing who this guy is? Well, that's the, I think that is sort of the mistake that, that we in the United States are making when we talk about Anthony Joshua. He's already there in terms of uh, in terms of the things that we measure stardom by uh, in this sport. Uh, he already earns more money than Canelo. He got uh, like almost $20 million to fight Klitschko. Canelo made 13 and a half to fight uh, Amir Khan and three and a half to fight Liam Smith last year. So, yeah, but you can buy more in Mexico with that inflation rate, right? right? <laughs> okay, it's, yes, uh, that uh, wasn't racist, right? That, I can, I can say no, things no. Like, I mean that is the UK. The UK is very expensive, um, but Canelo lives in Santa Monica, so I mean he's spending dollars anyway. Um, but you know, I mean Joshua is already the biggest star in the sport, and he has done it with you know. I mean he's not the biggest star star in American boxing, but by the sort of the the dollars that that we usually use to evaluate this he is the biggest star uh except he's just doing it all in the UK because that's where there's attention and money and I, at this i mean why do we assume that he has to come here and prove himself and win over the american crowd maybe he could maybe he could be and i guess that i guess that's the answer if he could and he did break through here became a nfl nba style face of a sport then his endorsement sort of potential blows through the roof. But because if he's of, already, because Rafe, 
Pause, mm. because American fans need you to earn it on this soil. They need their hard-ass boons. He doesn't style, need American right? fans, though, Brian. There's a history what? of UK guys that have a lot of a lot of hype around them coming to the States and ending up folded up in a suitcase. Like, there's there's that history there, right? Sure. You think he's going to get Frank Brunoed? Oh, I don't, you know, I don't, but I think you do have to earn it here, even though he's already a worldwide star, even though he's already put 90,000 in a football stadium and probably will be able to do close to that with some of his own countrymen in the future. You still critical wise, you got to cross them borders, right? You got to come to the red, white, and blue and, and, and take your stand on that hill. All right. Can I get any more war references in there? He's got to, you know, you got to hold that flag up. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that they will, I think that he'll come over to to have a fight. Maybe they'll do it with Deontay Wilder. That'd be great. That would obviously be the biggest uh, U.S.-based fight I think they could put together right now. Um, but I don't know if he'll, I don't see the point, at least the way boxing has been going in recent years, in Anthony Joshua making his career here, uh, where he's already making better money in the U.K. Make make people come to him, not not yeah. just for home court advantage, because it, but it, because it seems like the sport is healthier in the U.K. It makes more money. Do you think? I mean, the way that pay per views have been going, do you think that Joshua Wilder clears one million dollars, uh, one one million pay per views? I think it could, but it I think could, that Wilder but- needs to be like a Joseph Parker in a unification fight first. And I think Joshua needs to get one more marquee crossover fight. And it's time to get into that conversation. Let's put the rematch on hold. We know Vlad has a contractual chance at this rematch if he wants it. We'll get to that in a second. If he doesn't want the rematch, I think why, or I'm sorry, I think Joshua needs one more big ticket win and I think that win needs to come against Tyson Fury. And I think Joshua in the ring called him out for a reason. Uh, if you're following the Instagram account of the great of the great gypsy himself, Tyson Fury, you know he's he's a little beefy, but you know he's back in the gym. Rafe, that might do 90K. And that might be the kind of fight with the trash talk build that that will have that will give him that extra layer of stardom where when he does fight Wilder, it will mean so much more. Oh, Brian, first of all, I'm so glad you brought up uh... – Tyson Fury's Instagram account because he has been on an incredible bizarre hot streak uh, where you know he's he's training in Marbella with uh, Marbella, Spain, with Billy Joe Saunders, fellow traveler, gypsy, <laughs> British fighter, um, and he's trying to get back into shape. He's doing these weird. I mean, he does these first-person sort of selfie videos where he's talking into his phone, but half the time he covers up the microphone with his thumb. You can't hear anything. He looks like a fat balding Mr. Belding, which I guess was Mr. Belding and to begin with. But buildings like, with two Baldings and one yeah. of them is Belding? Oh, I botched uh, that up. Screw all. I had a chance. Had <laughs> um, the window. Fumbled the ball. But, uh, you know, it is a great uh, boxing deep cut for, for anyone who wants to check out that that, that Instagram feed. Tyson is on, a, is on a hot streak. And, yeah, it would be great. I mean, he's training. Uh, you kind of think from the cynic's point of view that Fury is training to get back into shape to cash out one one final time. Um, it would be, you know, I hope for for him if he's interested that that he can extend his career back beyond that. But the way the sport goes, you kind of expect that that you know at this point he might just be looking to to cash in on on being the lineal champ, and the way to do that is to fight Anthony Joshua. Um, and I, that's that's money on the table for all of those. That's a huge fight in the UK. More, you know, another. Basically, twenty million dollar payday for for Joshua, and something similar to that, perhaps for for Fury. And uh, you know, and it and it's a it's a you know, it, it's also great because it closes the loop on the lineal title. You know, we yeah can, yeah. We there's no that. more. You, you, we don't have to deal with like oh, but you know, what about the lineage? Blah blah blah. Like you know. 
Fury was the guy who beat Klitschko. If if Joshua can beat Fury, then then that sort of really uh, sets Joshua up to either control the heavyweight division or at least you know see put the put the heavyweight division in in the proper sort of forward momentum. Rafe, to transition out of here quickly, Klitschko uh, before the fight recorded a prediction on a USB drive, a, a video prediction of how he thought the fight would go. Sewed it into his robe that he wore to the ring, and is now going to auction off that robe to, to, for the money to go to his charity Klitschko Foundation. He won't talk about what's on that video. He's he's not upset if somebody buys it and then leaks the video. Rafe, in your best Vladimir impersonation, what, what does that video say? Oh wow. Well, Brian, no, I, I can't. I can only. Oh, I, I've, so got, I've, got, I've got Gennady in my head. I can't. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, at least another K2 fighter. At least there's that going for it. Um, I think what, what's in there. Uh, I mean, my guess is that it would be like a, a, a just a like a, a long list of uh, <laughs> of the finest Ukrainian pharmaceuticals. Um, oh, I don't you know. don't mean that. You don't mean that. Well, I just I'll mean give, you know. I'll give him a schizophrenic. I mean, that's what it's that's what's going to be in there, right? <laughs> Uh, maybe I, it would be awesome if it's just like a, a, uh, Vladimir playing chess, you know, against like an imaginary <laughs> opponent being like shirtless with his brother. Anthony. Remember uh, that weird photo shoot that's still out there with him and his brother kind of half nude pose. I don't know. We'll leave that where it was. <laughs> well, Someone okay, so out there dig the that up. Then, huh? <laughs> Not safe for work. What is that? What, what do you think the, what's the, what's the, what's the highest you would pay for that robe to get that USB drive to, to unlock that secret to the strategy that did not work out? I'd pay a little bit more than Juan Ma was charging for that internet pay-per-view where he was going to beat up the trainer that he that he brawled with in the ring. What was that 199 US? I'd pay a little bit more than that. But transitioning out of here, Rafe, we're going into our prime or wash segment. Klitschko's still on our minds. Number one, Rafe, Vladimir Klitschko, from what you saw in that ring, washed or prime? Where is he closer to? Well, he's not washed. Of course, I mean, he is definitely not washed. To fight that well, I mean, people are calling this one of the best performances of of Klitschko's career, and you can almost you can kind of see it. Um, you know, just to to compete on that level with a guy who is is as big and as good as Joshua is, um, and I think we can call him that good now after he's beaten Klitschko. Um, that you know, that's that's an accomplishment. Now, I don't know that I necessarily think he, sh- you know, needs to continue his career. If he wants to walk away after that, then 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 that's fine. Uh, but uh, he's he's not washed, and if he wants to keep fighting, then uh, he, he he certainly won't get like the the uh, the weird, you know, the 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 concern trolls coming after him, like, oh, you know, what's going to happen to him? He's not looking good. Is this a, is he going to survive? Yeah, he resuscitated certain parts of his legacy that I, that I teased there with that fury stain, without question. Should he take the rematch, though? That's the real question. It's a, it would be a gigantic money earned for him if he wanted to do that. It would give him motivation one more time to get in that extreme top-level shape, which he clearly was for this fight. Could he change the, the, the outcome? I don't see it happening. But if he's going to take this rematch, I would have no problem with it. I would not say that he shouldn't do it. If he feels that there's one other strategy in his mind, maybe attack more early, maybe be even more defensive as a boxer to stretch the fight out. You know, I'd be okay if he did that. I don't think he needs to retire. I don't see him, though, chasing other contenders or chasing other loose titles. I kind of feel like it's either this Joshua rematch or it's back to maybe a future and charitable political we know his brother uh, vitaly is the mayor of of kiev ukraine you know maybe making more babies with hayden panettiere whatever he's got to do i don't see him in there you know calling out jo- joseph parker for example 
All right. Well, Brian, I, you know, I, I just wanted to you you raised an issue with me that I, I is sort of I don't know blasphemy uh, on the on, you know uh, relating to the HBO broadcast of this fight. You were suggesting that Roy Jones Jr. may be washed as a commentator. I, I have to bring this up because we know we know how this worked out. Showtime had the live broadcast. HBO did the replay. If they do a rematch, those roles will be will be flipped. Watching the HBO replay, which didn't have the ring introductions, it didn't have all the all the pomp and circumstance that Showtime had. When Vlad was first originally hurt in round five, Roy got so excited that he kept screaming over Lampley, yeah, he's hurt, Jim. It was like a rehash of the great Pacquiao Marquez four fight from 2012, where he's not getting up, Jim. Only Klitschko was got up. He was getting up, Jim, and he was coming back. And Roy was just maniacally screaming the same line <laughs> about 475 times. Every time Jim was about to speak, Roy was back over the top of him. We all love Roy as a commentator. He's far washed as a fighter. I started to get scared that he might be washed on the mic, too, because he just wasn't understanding the situation and his honest reaction, which is the best part about him as a commentator, always an honest reaction, was taking over the broadcast a little bit too much. And he was calling out Jim when Jim was saying the wrong thing. It just kind of, eh, am I, eh, I had an ill moment. It might, Twitter, be, it might be past his prime. Twitter, please send Brian Campbell all of the y'all must have forgot videos you can find. Uh, don't no stop until he recants this this take. Brian, I think, I, I look, this is what you get with some of the with some of the fighter commentators. They're a little bit off the rails sometimes. And that's, I think, a lot of fans, I mean, they're, they're the, okay, you know what I think? I think pretty much the only people who d don't like hearing Roy Jones go a little crazy on a, during a fight are are guys who are work somewhere in or around boxing media or in sort of this boxing commentariat, and they think I, they would do a better job than Roy. And maybe they would from some sort of strictly professional point of view, but they're not Roy. I'm not Roy. You're not Roy. We're not Roy. I like Roy. I want as much Roy as Roy's willing to give us. Um, and I know if, Roy. I'm friends with Roy. In, in <laughs> Castle Chalice, you're no Roy, all right? <laughs> um, I just think that if uh, if he's if if once in a while we get him sort of going off the rails, I can live with that uh, because we also get the you know he's not getting up, Jim, or just every time every time he's like every time Roy, Roy you know he every 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 time Roy gives us a you know yeah it was yeah it is like that I get I get amped over that I, I'm not I'm not willing to let that go yeah it was will never be washed. Well, if, as long as he'll dance again in the locker room with John Pascal <laughs> to his own song, right? It, it was almost like a great air guitar. It was like air rapping his own song. Then I will forgive him. Rafe Washter Prime, we move on to my guy, the Danish Prince, Mikkel Kessler, earlier this month, quietly announcing his return from a four-year retirement at the age of 38, last seen losing to Frotch in 2013 in that great rematch from that great underrated feud. The whole time Kessler's been gone, I've wanted Frotch Kessler three. Could this be the, the you know, the, the turning point in maybe getting that? Is Mikkel Kessler on this comeback closer to prime, closer to washed? <laughs> well, we'll have to see. I mean, look, one, we'll see, Mikhail Kessler fought till you know into his late 30s, uh, and he stayed in great shape the whole time. Fought, you know, he he, he fought really well in that loss to Frotch in their second fight, uh, and hurt him hurt Frotch pretty badly towards the end. So he we we never saw him look particularly washed in the ring. He's obviously pretty old now. I'm look, I, I'd love to see them come back, and I know Brian, uh, you are the the sort of patron not patron saint, but the the greatest cheerleader for old man fights. I think that we have hashtag old guy that, fights. Yes. Yeah, old guy fights that. Uh, I mean, Kessler coming back 
as in, you know, uh, for old guy fights with Frotch. And and my dream is that they is that they, they that seeing those two back in the ring sparks a little, you know, teases the bag a little bit, so to speak, on uh, on Joe Calzaghe. Don't tease and, the bag unless you want the mess. Don't do that. All right. Don't do that. You know, and, and Super Joe sees that and he's and he starts to get the hunger again, even though he seems like he's been hungry in other ways in, in recent years. Um, but to get Super Joe back in there and if we're talking because you know what Frotch's ultimate goal now is. He needs to beat 90K at Wembley. <laughs> and the only way he's going to do that is to lure Super Joe back to fight him at Wembley. Oh, my God. That, I am so fired up from even hearing this this fake, you know, this fake WWE-style booking right here. I'm fired up. He's probably going to be washed, though. But No, 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 he's not. Come on. There, you know, there's there's training methods. There's European supplements he can take. He's got great tats. There's still time for him. Rafe, I got one more Washter Prime. Over the weekend, Omar the businessman Chavez. Yes, the younger brother of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Dramatically stopped Canelo Alvarez's brother, Ramon Alvarez, in round two of the rematch. Three years earlier, Alvarez had won a decision in their first bout. After the fight, though, Omar said the Chavez family dynasty is better than that of the Alvarez's. Rafe, our guy Big Red, Canelo, has like 17 other brothers who are all, you know, some level of pro fighter. Question, are they all washed besides Big Red? Well, yes, I believe they are. Do you remember uh, Rigoberto Alvarez fighting Sergio Thompson? I mean, or I actually don't remember. I may have my Alvarez's mixed up, but man, Rigoberto Sergio Thompson lost the title to, to Trout. That's the oh, guy so that can't be the Sergio Sergio, Sergio Thompson's a lightweight. All right, so this might have been the uh, the Alvarez that that Omar Chavez, uh, you know, destroyed. Look, um, uh, yeah, they're all. I don't even. Can you be washed without ever having really risen to much? Uh, you know, I, I, it's they they have one brother who who's an excellent fighter, and that's that's great for the family. As far as family legacies go, I mean. Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. kind of wins that entire thing by himself. You know, it has not, it, it's not really a family question. It's really, there's one guy who, who you know, you could put uh, all of the other Chavez's and the Alvarez's together and they still don't equal, you know, El Gran Campeón. Fair enough. Rafe, let's transition out of here. We got an interview coming up. Featherweight titleist Gary Russell Jr. I caught up with him. He'll be returning May 20th to defend his 126-pound title against Oscar Escandone. This is a mandatory that had been postponed a couple times. We'll finally see this. But I talked to Gary Russell about, of course, the topic everybody would, would ask Gary Russell. Vasily Lomachenko. We know they fought in 2014 for that vacant title. Lomachenko won a decision, somewhat dominant decision, although Russell showed a lot of heart. I asked Ask Gary his opinion specifically on this. Since that fight, Lomachenko has elevated to an almost mythical stature as as a pound for pound number one on so many people's lists, despite still not having ten pro fights. What are Russell's thoughts on that? Hmm. Well, what's your definition of a mythical figure? I guess something that is more than maybe it really is. Until it really is. Okay, well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you actually made that statement. That's exactly what I think about it. Um, I feel as though you can't take away nothing from Lomachenko as an amateur, him being able to to become an Olympian and 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 medal the way in which that he did, you know. But no one knew who Lomachenko was as a professional. He lost to Cerrito. No one knew who Lomachenko was until he fought Mr. Gary Russell Jr., a dehydrated version of Mr. Gary Russell Jr. You know, I think his elevation came based upon the fact that he did compete against someone that everyone feels as though is the best of the best. You know, I can't take nothing like that from 
But I would say that before my career is over, well, he got to fight me twice because uh, I'll be concerned about the first fight. And one of my main concerns is that I might knock him out too early before I get an opportunity to really invest the time and energy into him the way that I really want to. So we have to fight another time after that. What are your sort of regrets about the way the first fight played out? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I brought people into my team or on board to my team that shouldn't have been on board to my team. Um, we tried to do something new, and it was costly. You know, uh, we had to lose, lose weight. Uh, the day before the weigh-in, but the night of the, the actual weigh-in, and the way that we lost, it was just completely ridiculous. I was completely dehydrated and drained from all the fluids in my body. And if anything that I can take from that is, uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it, man. They will keep keep doing what 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 keep what what can get you there so far. And that's that's what it is. Did you think that he had faster hands than you in that fight? Because that's something that you'd been become known for. How did you see? How did you feel that you matched up with him in terms of hand speed? Listen, man, I'm not. I'm not gonna keep going back and forth about uh, about someone else. Someone else. If you're gonna talk to me about what's going on in my career and about my fighting, let's deal with that. I, I'm I'm really done talking about Lomachenko. I'm ready to rumble. I'm ready to fight. I think if we fight again, I'm gonna knock him out. You know what I'm saying? That's 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 the end of it. All that extra how I feel about hand speed and this and the third. We're not even gonna get into all of that. Um, but we ready to follow. I like that. I like that attitude. I like the fire. I like the fire coming out of Mr. Russell right there. That's what I'm talking about. How how do you get to that path? That what's the path to sort of get that fight? You know, like what is your what what do you look ahead as an, over the next year? What, what I mean this this fight against Oscar Escondón, but what's the path to sort of secure a rematch against a guy like that? First of all, a rematch isn't even secure. I feel as though that he honestly like he got a gift. He knew that the individual that he competed against was the individual that everyone, you know, everyone in top of the world can compete and same fight. Um, he, we might not get an opportunity to compete again. He might just say, nah, I don't want to fight him no more. I'm done with it and it is what it is. Yeah, that, that, that could very possibly be what happen. Uh, uh, my idea of what I would want to happen, I would love to get through Oscar Eskandon, because we never overlook anybody. You know, whenever you have someone that, that has the, the time to train for six to eight weeks, but in our particular case, because the fight has been postponed uh, 10 to 11 weeks for no one else but you, that's a dangerous opponent. Yeah. You know, when you got these small eight-ounce gloves on, anything can happen. Anything can happen in the fight. All it takes is one shot to make a difference. You know, and right now, that's this is what our focus is on, on Escadon. God willing, we get through him. I would love to, to unify one of the titles with any of the other champions. Um, I think Lee Sobe, Lee Sobe, the IBF, Evan Mars just got a, got a world title, and I know Leo Santa Cruz still has the title, correct? Yes, he does. Yeah, I'd definitely love to unify with any one of those guys. Um, if we can't get a unification bout after this bout, then I'm, I'm immediately moving up and waiting for the next week class and trying to challenge whoever, whoever has a fight on that. But it's, it's time for me to go and bully people around a bit. Whoa, whoa, Rafe! 
Gary Russell, Mr. Russell, you know, a little, little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, you hear that in his tone? You hear that in his tone talking about Lomachenko when I brought up that hand speed? He's, 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 there's some umbrage in there. He's taking umbrage, I believe. What is your take on essentially his stance? I was uh, hard way cut the first time around. I never had a chance, but when I get a chance again, I'm going to KO him early. You know, I, I, hold, I, I can't KO him fast enough or whatever he basically said. Look, I give Gary Russell credit for consistently calling out, um, consistently calling out uh, Vasil Lomachenko. Like he, he did it after, you know, after his wins, he usually says that's the first name he he puts down as someone he wants to fight. So I think he really does want and believe that want that fight and believe he can win it. Now, has he shown, you know, the boxing, you know, people who watch boxing a reason to believe that he could win that rematch or has a chance to knock out Lomachenko? Not really. But he was, uh, you know, I mean, Russell has looked good since that fight, um, even though he's only fought, what, twice. Um, but he has looked good. Um, and and interestingly enough, that Gary Russell's loss to Lomachenko has almost aged well, which is strange because a lot of people watched it and thought, wow, Lomachenko pretty much dominated a lot of that fight over 12 rounds. Um, but, hey, you see what Lomachenko has done to other guys. Gary Russell was, you know, competitive in the rounds or at least made himself, you know, a part of that fight uh, longer and and, did, and didn't it took until maybe the tenth or eleventh round when he got hurt to the body that that he had that that face that we see on Lomachenko opponents who are just like all right this is this is I get me out of here this is this is no fun anymore um, so look I give him credit for all that but you know what the bottom line he has to get in the ring and and build that case now uh, and he can do that and he and and he's not doing it his next fight is Oscar Escandon uh, maybe it's a mandatory and they got to do it but. PBC has other big name fighters in that weight. I mean, Leo Santa Cruz, Carl Frampton coming off a loss. Start fighting, beating those guys, and then, you know, and then there will be a drumbeat that, hey, this guy, if he's good enough to beat some of those guys, then yeah, he should be fighting Lomachenko again. I mean, that's fair. Look, what, what Russell said was that, you know, he wants to unify. He wants Selby. If he can't get anybody to unify, if he beats Escondone, he wants to move up to 130. I've always loved, like a lot of people, I've always loved Gary Russell because he has that one skill that is just so dynamic, that outrageous hand speed. Am I willing to give him a pass on saying for certain reasons he wasn't at his best against Lomachenko? It sounds like an excuse, but I'm always willing to give a guy one chance when they say that. Let me see, because when he did, Rafe, was he did bounce back from that with some explosive victories where he made some statements and how quickly he took care of people, even though he's not known as a puncher. When he puts those hands together fast against a somewhat outmatched opponent, he's obviously able to get them out of there. I would love to see one more chance what he can do against the Lomachenko. I just don't know if we'll get there. And he was honest saying he doesn't know too because that fight only happened originally if you remember Rafe when the boxing politics that that hold it down were were, were spread open because of the mandatory situation of a couple right. of a purse bid when the fight goes to a purse bid suddenly all you know all bets can be off unless it's like Peter Quillen willingly giving up his title to to avoid uh who did he avoid that time oh my god uh our guy our guy the middleweight from uh this is great moments in podcasting history here. Yeah, well, you're the one who did it to us. Did he? Did he do that the to guy avoid that got Gennady? Washed, the guy that got washed by Andy Lee. Come on, you know who I'm talking about. God. How yeah. far have the middle has this middleweight fallen that we can't pull out his name? Are you the talking guy about Matt Korobov? Matt Korobov. You know, Quill, Quillen gave up the belt in that purse bid situation rather than you know cross the political street. I don't know if we can see it again because of that. Although I think there's the first counter to that is saying, "Have you been watching lately?" PBC fighter Daniel Jacobs crossed the street. PBC fighter Amir Khan crossed the street. I think there was a third instance recently as well that's not coming to me. 
I'd see it if they're going to book it. Uh, we don't need it, though. That's really what I'm saying up there, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Here's a, here's a simple PBC related question. Why doesn't? Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't they make? Why not make Russell and Frampton uh, in, as the, as both guys next fight? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In style wise, I think that would be very interesting, right? With a little, the- I mean, you know, some people might be bored by the chess match angle of it, but they're, they're probably the two uh, quickest, most most pure boxer type talents in that division right now. Um, and uh, I think that w- I would love to see that fight, and it would well, show we'll us who 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 really is who, which you know, and it would tell us something real about that division. Well, we we struggled to pull off core above. We got through it. Russell first has to get through Escondone. We'll find out. But the championship rounds portion of our podcast, Rafe, essentially goes to the big fight this weekend. Arguably the biggest fight of this first half of the calendar year from that standpoint of making that big event on Cinco de Mayo weekend in Las Vegas. Mexican holiday, boxing holiday, the Super Bowl. Canelo Alvarez Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Saturday's HBO pay-per-view card, the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, catch weight of 164 and a half pounds. Rafe, before we get into this main event, what this fight card can mean, quick undercard discussion, the return of the new Manny Pacquiao, right? Lucas Matisse, Matisse, he's back, facing Emmanuel Taylor. Is this moving you at all? Oh, I, look, I, I have to say, I have a, I have a, I have a soft spot for the machine, la machina. I mean, I always want, I want, I want the best for him. I think we've seen now on a few occasions that he's kind of a front runner in the ring. Like when things aren't going his way, he, you know, he gets discouraged. He doesn't quite. He might not try to change a fight that's going against him. Take that uh, back. Sometimes he rallied he, against DSG to knock the mouthpiece out of the guy's mouth. Come on, come on, take that yeah, back. All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he did, he did rally through 17 low blows from Danny Garcia to 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 knock his mouthpiece out in that fight um but um you know but but still i mean he's got the he's got power uh, i i i'm a little concerned i did see uh like a like a media day workout video of him hitting the pads with joel diaz and they were going through it in a very uh kind of apathetic way um now you mean like that, mike alvarado yeah, yeah I, look, I hate i mean look i mean mike alvarado is is a is a whole different uh it's a whole different animal when it comes to uh you know shadow boxing and media day videos i mean but but honestly i got some of those those feels and not the good feels i was like oh this, this looks like this they're not that in, they don't really want to be here now you know this is a media day it doesn't mean anything it, it could have to do with cutting weight it could have to do with uh, them not wanting to show stuff. I mean, you know, we can't really read that much into it, but I, I didn't get great feels from that. Um, luckily, uh, Emmanuel Taylor, uh, Matisse should be able to handle him, um, even though he's been game in fights against Broner and other guys. But Matisse should be able to to handle him if he's got anything left. Uh, and then he can make fun fights as a welterweight, whether you're yeah. matching him against the other semi-washed welterweights, the Andre Berto's of the world, um, or as a as sort of a, a test for, for some of the up-and-coming guys. I mean, you have to wonder if, if Victor Postal officially took his soul in that in that fight where Lucas quit with the eye injury. If Taylor's not going to hurt him. Taylor's a hard, gave, gave Broner problems, gave Algeria a good run. Interesting if you can match him moving forward, like you said, against those those Broner, Birdo types. I, I'd be all for that. One other fight, David Lemieux, the middleweight, facing Julio Chavez Jr. survivor Marcos Reyes in a, in a middleweight fight that essentially just leaves Lemieux in the bullpen. Before we preview the, the actual Canelo fight, any chance Oscar double-crosses us and this is just like break glass in case we need to match Canelo against Lemieux at a, in the September pay-per-view if we're going to avoid Triple G? Oh, I would say there is a uh, a very good chance of that. I mean, I would, I in my mind, it might be better than fifty percent. I am, uh, I am as, 
I am a skeptic on on their on 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 Golden Boy and Canelo's uh, desire to make the Triple G fight before uh, they absolutely have to. Um, well, <laughs> I, I, I invite them to prove me wrong, and I hope they do. And I hope that I'm being unfair or whatever you want to call it to them. But I just, I mean, like this, this it's the, it, Lemieux is right there. It would the money would all be in house. Um, and honestly, you know, it, it's one of those things where I that I'm getting scared, and I don't know. We might save some of this for later, but they might be over marinating, uh, you know, Canelo versus Triple G. And the worst part about all this is I actually really like Canelo Lemieux. Like, I really like that fight. I mean, yeah. Whatever. Well, let's get into the actual fight here. HBO brought back something that I love. I think it's the best segment in boxing when they do it. Even when it's bad, it's still good. The face-off. We know it. We love it. They brought it back, Canelo and Chavez. Chavez didn't have the crazy eyes this time that he famously did against Sergio Martinez. He was a cool and calm, and his whole game plan was to especially expose Canelo as a pretty boy A-side who has learned from Mayweather and used his power too much to make people come up or down in weight to meet him. Yet, isn't there a pot and kettle situation there? Didn't we just endure a whole run of of Chavez forcing Brian Vera up to weight classes and any of these random jobbers he fought after that to, you know, I can't beat you here if I'm far, but I'll fight you at 172. No, I'll fight you at 171 where I'm the lineal champion. What did you catch from that face-off? Yeah, that was sort of the the great aspect of of that argument between those guys because while uh, Chavez is, is sitting there giving sort of the the sort of standard valid criticism of some of Canelo's especially his recent fights i mean you you know we're we're past the uh the Lara and Trout era of of Canelo when he was taking on real challenges um uh but um so but but that criticism is coming from maybe like the worst possible uh source you know like Chavez has literally no leg to stand on here these are guys who both had sort of similar rises through the through boxing you know getting a lot of you know a lot of jobbers on the way up getting uh, some favorable uh favorable decisions a- until they you know, sort of earned earned a place and learned enough on the job to uh, to be you know at, at the top of the sport. And I, I think you can say that Canelo has done a a better job of maintaining that and proving that he actually belongs there. Um, it was weird though because you know Canelo was very ably parrying the you know he was Canelo was being sort of a it wasn't being like wasn't parrying the criticism in a way that was endearing you weren't like oh i like Canelo now he's right but he was also just sort of logically denying everything that that Chavez threw at him. And I think it created an interesting situation because Chavez is one of the best villains in all of boxing. He plays that role willingly. He was incredible in the buildup to the Sergio Martinez fight. Yet he was so deft in as a sneaky villain here where he kind of made you want to believe that Canelo was all these negative things during this face-off, which because people are already upset at Canelo for not yet having yet fought Golovkin yet, suddenly being willing to move up two weight classes, if you know, if you will, to fight Chavez here, it does ask an interesting question. From your point of view, who is the villain in this pairing, in this in the promotion of this fight? Does it matter? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it matters uh, competitively, but I mean, I, I think that right now, my my read on the boxing landscape is that uh, it, Canelo is the villain. I mean, he's got just because of the way things have gone recently, that he is seen to be, or his promoter is seen to be ducking Triple G, and has been doing so for a, an extended period of time. Uh, and and is going through these sort of jumping through these outrageous hoops, going back down to 154, vacating the hundred the, the middleweight title so he wouldn't have to defend it, jumping above 160 so he can fight Chavez uh, in a one-off fight. I mean, 
all you know to just by even if 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 Canelo has a track record of facing great competition not that long ago um the stuff that's happened in the past year and a half has turned people against him and i think that he's the villain right now here's the interesting parts coming into this fight that 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 we sort of need to lay out there all right canelo has never fought above 155 pounds he's moving up nine and a half pounds for this fight and of course julio cesar chavez jr is largely considered to a degree damaged good or goods or just past his prime, past his 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 you know his due date or, or however you want to phrase that, and having not really been in a real fight in four and a half to five years, going back to that September 2012 Sergio Martinez fight, where of course he lost 11 and a half straight rounds and then rallied so hard in that 12th round to redeem himself, but then his career fell off the tracks. It's been nothing good since then, Rafe. Weight problems, all those things you just mentioned, you know, suspensions for, for marijuana use, not taking training seriously, all that stuff. Those are your default settings that build your questions coming in. How do you deal with that first question of, what will the add-on in weight in facing a challenger who's known for having an ability to make weight and then add 20 to 25 pounds on his own? How does Canelo's size play a factor in this? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what that's one of that's a, to me one of the big storylines of this fight is size and weight. Uh, Canelo uh, often, especially when he fight has been fighting at you know 154, 155 pounds, has fought guys that he comes into you know when he gets into the ring he outweighs them by 15 pounds or 10 pounds. Um, now he's going up to fight a guy who might you know uh, might weigh like 190, 195 pounds and look pretty ripped on on the night of the fight, uh, who is several inches taller than them. Whether you you know believe that uh, Canelo is five nine as reported, or he is about five seven as he appears. Yeah, he's wearing um, lifts. Come on. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I mean, all this. I don't think. Uh, how many have we seen Canelo fight someone bigger than him? Is he? Uh, has, can you think of him not being the bigger man in the ring? Uh, looking, I have his record in front of me. I really don't remember a time, and this is a strong criticism of how good his matchmaking has been. I don't remember a time where there was a fighter who had a significant, you know, even Angulo, they were about the same height. You can argue Canelo was physically stronger. No, I mean, you know, Kirkland was arguably a bigger fighter, but still kind of small, still a 154 at heart. This is that first kind of chance to see what he looks like. Well, you have to rely on the boxing exclusively. But yet, like we mentioned, Chavez isn't just a bigger guy by one and a half divisions. He's a guy who regularly can put on that more weight. So there's a default feeling that he's, you know, he's going to be a little bit blown compared to his prime. He's not going to be the same guy. I don't think people are asking this question enough, though, Rafe. What if that's wrong? What if Chavez somehow has found the fountain of youth in terms of that finding that spark of motivation that he had during those prime years under Freddie Roach, where he did evolve into not just a iron chin body puncher, a guy who actually can put some punches together. He was down on the cards against Andy Lee and really rallied back strong and probably his most impressive performance to date. I'm watching these preview shows that both HBO and Golden Boy are putting out, and I'm noticing something specifically, Rafe, that he's not training for this fight like he was the Martinez fight in a rented mansion in his pink underwear where he has Freddie Roach come over and they move the couches out of the way to do some sparring on the pads, right? <laughs> this is at what appears to be like a Mexican Olympic 
uh, Institute of Training up in the mountains. And he's going, if you're looking at the most recent videos and pictures, he's absolutely ripped and focused for this fight. There's enough built-in motivation of this being his last big chance, where if he looks good in this fight, even in a loss, he can save his career and earn some big paydays down the road in the next year and a half, two years. Or if he looks completely, you know, if he looks horrible and then he doesn't pass a drug test, that's obviously the end. I think there's enough motivation. He's training seriously. And he's brought in Hall of Famer Nacho Beristein, which has to mean something, right? Because it didn't work when he brought in Joe Goosen because Chavez's head clearly wasn't in it. Now his head is in it. He's got his dad in his ear in what seems in a healthy way. What happens if Chavez is back to that guy who can pry on your soul and lean on you? Because the one thing we haven't seen Canelo, and you referenced not seeing him there against a bigger fighter, we haven't seen his soul, his fighting soul on the ropes where his spirit could be broken, where a guy was putting so much pressure on him where you're wondering, wow, is Canelo going to have to clinch? Is he going to have to start backpedaling? Is he going to have to hide? He's always been the bigger man, the bigger puncher. Is this the challenge that possibly could put Canelo in that fight or flight moment where we really find out who he truly is? What are the odds we see prime Chavez? Well, we could, I mean, uh, so this goes back, this goes back to the other man, uh, uh, the other man in the black hat behind in in Chavez's (laughs) corner here. Uh, And that is, he's training, uh, he's training with Memo Heredia for this fight. And we all know, we all know. Memo is the former Balco uh, informant uh, who helped Juan Manuel Marquez get into, shall we say, the most amazing physical shape of his entire career for his uh, last couple of fights, including his and, and and found an enormous wealth of power in 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 that one punch knockout of, of Manny Pacquiao, um, you know, back in 2012. I mean, Memo, you know, regard, you know, we don't know how he does it, but um he uh, he gets guys into great shape with a lot of power, um, and at, there's at least a possibility that 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 could happen here with Chavez. It looks like he's on weight. It looks like he's in excellent shape. I think that he may, I think that Chavez training with Memo might be the bigger uh, advantage or the bigger plus for him than training with Nacho Beristein because I love Nacho. Nacho is maybe one of my favorite characters and no fuck my favorite character in boxing like his his like profane weird poetry his way is ways of describing things his just general saltiness like him and <laughs> but but you know and he says like uh, some of the funniest things of anybody and this is a funny 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 ass sport right but um i don't know if he's a great match for other fighters he's one of these guys who seems to have he's almost got the, the way that um the way that virgil hunter you know seems to have that specific specific bond and mind meld with 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 andre ward i think nacho has that that specific bond with the Marquez brothers, Juan Manuel and Rafael. Um, and I don't know that it transfers so well. Uh, and and he's also notoriously kind of so salty and overconfident in during fights that, you know, he tells, you know, when when Nacho, when 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 Marquez is doing well against Pacquiao in the late in near the end of their third fight, he's like, you got this, you know, um, you know. <laughs> so, you know, Nacho can be a, while I think he is a brilliant mind, a great trainer, I don't know that I, I have the highest hopes for how he'll mesh with uh with with Chavez Jr. The good thing though is I don't think Chavez Jr. can is going to learn anything. I don't think he's going to show new tricks. I think that his best chance to win is just 
being in the best possible shape, coming in the best possible shape, being the best yeah. version of the guy we've seen before. And, you know, like you said, leaning on Canelo, being bigger than him, being stronger than him, and hoping that that chin that looked, in, you know, impenetrable until Fanfara got a hold of him uh, holds up. You know, if that is the case, then Canelo could be in trouble. All right, here's the thing. Look, could could Memo Horadia, wink, wink, have a magic formula to change Chavez? Yes. Can Nacho? Obviously, it's no, because, look, if you're washed, you're washed. Oscar had Nacho against Manny Pacquiao in his corner, and that didn't matter, right? But the big question that, that we posed is if, and that, that factors into how does Chavez win this fight? If he's a 50% version of what he was at his prime, he's not going to win this fight. He's going to be outboxed, and that's, you know, that, that might be an early prediction for you, but that to me, that's the truth. If he's close, though, Rafe, or in some way the best we've ever seen him, the most focused, the most strong, rock-hard, physical, ready to walk you down and put on those body punches, here's where it's going to get interesting because Canelo is not Sergio Martinez. He doesn't have that footwork and that ability. If Chavez is constantly cutting off the ring and angling you and getting you into the corner, he doesn't have that way to dodge that. So what Canelo would have to do in theory is dig in, land those big counter right hands, land those uppercuts, and to use a Max Kellerman word, discipline Chavez from wanting to just barrel headfirst into oncoming traffic. That's where the fight would get very interesting. If Chavez is going to be in the best shape he's ever been, if he can put that body pressure on him for 12 rounds, then we've got a fight, Rafe. That's where... That's, I think, his only avenue, right? Go body shots, find a way to break Canelo's fighting spirit. Yeah, I mean, the the pressure. I mean, if if Canelo has never fought someone who could walk through his punches, I mean, that's because he throws great combinations and punches with a lot of power. Now, that, you know, Chavez, until, until Fanfara, has appeared to have a great chin. I mean, took everything that Martinez threw at him for 12 rounds, and Martinez really, really sat on some of those lefts in that fight. Um, you know, at middleweight or something approaching middleweight, which is, I guess, what they're fighting at to, uh, on Saturday, um, you know, Chavez has looked like a, an ex extremely durable fighter, someone who perhaps could take Canelo's power and just keep coming. Now, how does Canelo respond to that? Does he get discouraged? Does he just keep winning rounds and 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 punching? I mean, we 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 haven't seen that yet. And and also, you know, if if Chavez is able to sort of, you know, lean on him, take some of take some of the energy out of Canelo, you know, how will he respond to that? Also, one thing we one one th one concern uh, I have a little bit about Canelo is him coming up to 164 and a half pounds. Is he does does that slow down his hands at all? Because um, uh, you know, yeah, Canelo doesn't have great, really quick feet. He doesn't move around the ring in a beautiful way. He's not, you know, he doesn't dance. But he's got great hand speed for for his size. Uh, whoa, and throws whoa, whoa! You don't whoa. think he has? I I no. think he, a great no. Okay, I'm sorry. No, he's got timing and he swivels his upper body in a in a in a in a very loose, quick manner. It's yeah. deceiving. Okay. All right. I will say that I, I just I, I respect you, Max I, res I respect his hand speed. I, great is uh, definitely overboard, but I, I still respect it. And he throws great combinations that I, I'm not backing off of. Um, but if that, but if his arms are a little heavy, if he doesn't, you know, if he's not letting them go in quite the same way because of the weight, that could also be a factor in the fight. And I think the flip side is look, Canelo is, is he's going to have the discipline, like I mentioned, but. If it's going to be 12 hairy rounds, it's going to be a lot of that upper body swiveling. It's going to have to be – and Canelo has good defense. I mean, even statistically, CompuBox number-wise, he has a very strong defense. I think he's a little underrated in that regard. He's never the, the boxy Mexican warrior stereotypically. He's always more of a thinking man's guy. Not not the full Juan Manuel Marquez educated counterpuncher, but a little bit closer to that than you know Julio Sr., 
is there any avenue for Canelo to win in your eyes outside of just winning by boxing and countering? Can you see a scenario where he's actually walking the bigger man down and, and potentially stopping him? Um, yes, I mean, because he, he's going to be able to. I think there, I have very little doubt that Canelo is going to be able to land punches against uh, against Chavez Jr. Uh, so if he ends up, you know, if he ends up being able to hurt. Chavez Jr., which is in the definitely possible, um, you know, then then yes, I mean, I, he could end up stopping him. I, I mean, I, I think that I th- he's going. I think that he's going to be able to land so much because this fight is. I have a feeling they they are basically going to stand there and and wail on each other. Um, uh, so I have a feeling that yeah, he he could definitely he could definitely stop Chavez Jr. Uh, it depends on you know how the how his power affects the bigger man. Yeah, and it's interesting if, if there's enough power in, let's say, in accumulation mode, if there's cuts, if Chavez gets to a point where he starts thinking, I've quit before against Von Farah, I've tarnished my undefeated Mexican pride bone, if you will, of, of you know, of, of never stopping. He's already passed that. He's already done that. It may be easier to do it a second time. Do you see on a fight that matters this much? And I will say that Von Farah fight didn't really matter as much, right? It was a comeback bout. It was a little bit lower profile. On a fight on this level of stage, I do have trouble believing that Chavez could quit again. I really do. I really think that's not part of the equation, even if the cuts you know, add up. I think there's just too much at stake. This is you know, an all-Mexican war. That's the way it's being built. I don't see that as being a problem. Do you see any Von Farah, uh, you know, hauntings coming back to him? I don't, I don't know about Fanfara hauntings. You know, if if he gets if he gets beat as bad as Fanfara was beating him, it'll be because Canelo does it. You know, it's not. I don't. I don't think this is. It's like it's all wrapped up in Chavez Jr.'s head. Um, and I, I, I do think I, I, I could be overly optimistic for him there here, but I do think that the the stakes of this fight, the you know the national uh, the national pride involved, uh, it being this. You know, I mean sort of a fight between two, in some ways, uh, icons of the sport in Mexico, at least at the moment. You know, they may not measure up to, to guys in the past or or Chavez's father. Um, but <clears throat> um, with all of that on the line, I, the, Chavez has every motivation uh, to really come in and, 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 you know, fight his heart out on this. Now, uh, does that necessarily mean he'll do it? No, we've seen him waver in certain ways before, (laughs) but if his preparation has been on point, which it seems like it has been, or at least a lot better than it's been in the past. Um, you know, I I would expect him to, to, to give a, a close to his best effort, if not his best effort. Predictions. Let's slide into there, Rafe. I'm going to be of the belief that Chavez will be better than we default think he will be. I believe that this this will be enough of a serious fight to produce the best possible version of this version of Chavez. Because you can't just act like the last five years now didn't happen of accumulations of not taking care of your body, of not mentally being as wired strongly as you need to be. That's going to play some part. I believe it'll go the distance. I believe Canelo will end up winning, but here's where it could get a little fishy in my mind. If Chavez has enough pressure early that that backs Canelo up, forces him to fight, forces him into uncomfortable situations, I think we're naturally as scorers, as educated followers scoring this fight, may start to give him more credit than maybe he deserves for backing Canelo up, going to the body, making it uncomfortable. I could see a scenario, Ray, where this goes the distance and you're going to have people saying, you know what, I got to the draw. I think Canelo was stronger, or I think Chavez was was more active to the body than Canelo's pinpoint counter shots, you know, added up to be. But I think when those scorecards are read, you'll have a three to four round cushion and a comfortable Canelo decision win that sets up much bigger fights for the future. 
Yeah, I mean, Canelo uh, has a, a certain way on the scorecards of always being a couple points ahead of maybe where where you expect him to be, uh, and uh, you know, good for him for that. Um, I, I look, I you anyone who uh, listened to us in the past uh, or you know uh, is familiar with 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 me going back, you know, I I am I am a Canelo hater. I can't. I I don't know. I've just never I've never gotten on board. I've always sort of talked myself into so many. Uh, uh, opponents who had very little chance. I've talked myself into that chance so many times. I mean, I I, I was like, yeah. Are you man, a Kermit Car- Centron truther? Were you? I was a little bit of a Centron truther. I was like, you know, I saw him do it with Angulo. Maybe he's going to do it with Canelo as well. Um, so you know, I, I I can talk myself into a lot of different uh, Canelo losses. I think I'm going to stop now, though. I, I can see Chavez's path to victory. He's and he's and he and it looks like he's done the preparation to make that possible. It looks like he's in the shape to make weight and and then you know blow up, put on weight, and have an advantage in size going into the ring on Saturday night. Um, and I think that he'll he'll give himself a chance to do to to test Canelo to to you know to lean on him a little bit to pressure him to make Canelo show us some of the you know some of the determination the guts some of the the sort of the stereotypes that that we associate with with uh, you know you know great Mexican brawlers and fighters that that sort of you know ne- never backing down that hunger to win. Um, I think that you know Chavez's chance to bring that out of Canelo in this fight, um, but I actually think that. Because Chavez basically is just gonna want to, you know, walk forward or stand in front of Canelo. He's gonna get hit a lot. He's gonna get hit too much. Uh, and I think I, I actually see. I, I I think that Canelo could stop him late to the body. Um, wow. Because he's just. I mean, you know, if if you're just standing there in front of Canelo and you're a big target and you and he's gonna he's gonna find you with really good body punches. And we've seen him hurt a lot of guys. I mean, he knocked out Liam Smith to the body. I mean, it looked like Liam Liam Smith was uh, you know never wanted. To, it looked like he he didn't want to wake up for a week after some of that stuff. Um, I think yeah, I, I think that he's just gonna be too easy to hit, and it'll add up, and and he'll ca- and Canelo will catch Chavez with something to the body, and maybe a ninth or tenth round stoppage. All right, ten second predictions on what happens next. We know Canelo, we know Golovkin is sitting out the possible June comeback against Billy Joe Saunders to unify because he just doesn't want to complicate things with the with a possible Canelo fight this September. Ten seconds or less, do we see it? I'll go first, Rafe. I say yes. I can be cynical, and I have many reasons to believe that both Canelo or Oscar will pull another fast one, but I think when Canelo committed to doing this fight, committed to moving up high and white after saying he wasn't a middleweight, he wouldn't go to 160, and now suddenly he's fighting at 64 and a half, he's made his bed even deeper than when he made it after the con fight by saying, we're Mexican, we don't F around. I do think we see this in September. Canelo, Triple G, and I think it's magic. I, uh, I, I'm so tempted to say it's not going to happen. I think that they would love to keep stringing this out. They have an obvious sort of option there to bring in with David Lemieux. Um, it's it, it, there's so many you know ways they can they can they can push it push that can down the road a little bit further. Um, but eventually, I'm going to go with the alternating year rule in boxing, which is that. 2017 is a good year. 2015 was a good yes. year. 2013 was a great year. Uh, so since next year has to be terrible, we're probably not getting uh, Canelo Triple G then. So I think we're getting it in September 2017. It's going to happen. 
Next year, you'll get DSG Salka, too. But those are our Canelo Chavez preview breakdowns. We're going to get out of here. I remind everybody, subscribe to the In This Corner with Brian Campbell podcast. If you if you heard something you like, say something about it. Give us a review. Listen this week, WWE Recap Edition later this week. There's also a WWE Payback Pay-Per-View Instant Analysis podcast that launched Monday morning. Get a listen to that. Before we go, Rafe, this is a big week for us as boxing fans. Bigger week for you over the next week to 10 days personally another book project coming out there give us a little shout out about that thank you sir uh yeah uh may 9th a week from today when this podcast comes out on tuesday um may 9th uh my second book is coming out it's called two and two mcsorley's my dad and me it is not about sports or boxing uh, i'm sorry um, apologies to our listeners um it is about mcsorley's old ale house which is the oldest continuously operating bar in new york city was opened in 1854 uh, my father is a career bartender there has been there since 1972 still works uh once in a while and um i uh i worked there a little bit when i was younger grew up in the bar it's about his career um a little bit of the history of the bar and what it was like to be around that place for most of my life uh so it's a personal thing for me uh very happy that it's finally coming out and uh uh if you're interested i hope you check it out and enjoy it you don't need showtime's mark kriegel who loves loves stories of fathers and sons to to enjoy this one this is a great father and son story i've read it it made me laugh there's some gut punches in there it's it's the full gamut of emotion so give that a read for our guy rafe And we'll be coming back at you sooner than later on In This Corner with Brian Campbell. We out.